English is back from BibleandBusiness.com. So uh, we started talking last week about God's purpose for business. Let's continue that conversation today. Bill, why did God create business? Yeah, four purposes uh, that I've I've been able to come up with. Uh, first of all, to uh, for we'll just put it under the word products is the first purpose. God created business to provide products and services which allow the community and enable the community to flourish. Now I take this from Genesis one twenty eight, that whole kind of creation passage, where God tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply, to subdue the earth, to rule over the earth. And the Hebrew word there for fruitful really talks about increasing or flourishing. Uh, Sometimes we say uh, when a plant bears fruit, it is said to be flourishing. And, uh, you know, I I, kind of connect that dot with Galatians where we're producing fruit that is in keeping with the Spirit. So our work uh, should uh, produce increasing. It should help those around us flourish. Uh, and so that is really one of the purposes of business. It's a structured way to produce products and services which allow the community to flourish. You know, as you say that, I'm thinking about all of the places in Scripture where it talks about uh, reaping and sowing or sowing and reaping, um, where we are encouraged to cultivate in the culture um, those things which are pleasing to God, that there is this productive nature, this multiplying uh, impact that that God intends us to have with the good gifts that he gives us. So, all right. So products, that sounds good. How about about the next purpose? Yeah. Next one is people. I put it under the word people. It could have also put it under the word passions, but I put it under the word people. God created business to provide people an opportunity to develop their talents and their passions and their interests. And really throughout the Bible, we find people being creative in work. Do we not? Adam naming all the animals, Joseph, I mean, look at Joseph managing to save and then disperse seven years of grain. That's a huge accomplishment from a management perspective. Aaron, uh, even though it was sin, he was able to fashion a calf out of gold. You remember that Jacob did a very good job of breeding superior sheep while he was working uh, for Laban. Uh, and God himself creating the whole world. And I, th- I think God has put in each of us this this creativity uh, to to take our talents and our passions and to do something new with them, to cause an increase, to help the community to flourish. And when we're creative in business, we're really, we're really uh, reflecting uh, the, the uh, creativity of God. And I, I think that's a wonderful thing for us to do. And so business exists, secondly, to provide people a structured opportunity and a structured way to develop their talents, their passions, their creativities, and their interests. Yeah, and I think today about all of the people around the globe who are applying themselves to the task of uh, finding a vaccine, like, right? So there mm-hmm. there are these mm-hmm. points in time when we see a lot of people applying their intellect and their passion, um, you know, to the eradication of, of a disease. Um, I think about um, guys like uh, Norman Borlaug, who, I mean, he was a geneticist. He was also really, really concerned that people were dying of hunger around the world and, you know, and recognized, hey, the globe is designed to produce enough food for everybody. So what are we doing wrong? Like instead of right, instead of complaining about weather cycles, he developed um, semi-dwarf wheat. Right. And that changed the game. Like you could you could grow then enough wheat in places like India to actually feed the people. It, it, It changed the world. So. 
there are very positive ways that we as people can apply the gifts, talents, abilities that God has given us, um, and that we're, we are in a business that is productive, um, but it's also for the, not only the common good, but for, um, for the good use of the way God has made us. Yeah, and it. made right. us and made us individually too, right? Absolutely. So, no, yeah. I could not yeah. have done what Norman Borlag did. No, exactly. No, too much science. Right. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, the the third the third P yes. on the list of God's purposes for creating business. Profits. God created business to provide profits, and profits provide sustainability to the community, the business, families, and individuals. Look, profits are good. Profits are a social good. Profits are a spiritual good. We look at Matthew 25 and the parable of the ten talents. There we see that the two servants who produce profit, never mind the amount, they both they both produce percentage-wise the same amount of profit. And as a result, they gained more of the master's presence. They entered into the master's joy, I think is how the NIV puts it in Matthew 25. But the wicked servant who didn't even bother to earn interest on the one talent that he was given— The master condemned him for this. So creating economic profit in and of itself is a righteous thing and can be used for good. So profits provide an economic stability for everyone involved. You do not need to be greedy to create profits. They can be be created without the element of greed. And uh, obviously some profits are going to be reinvested to grow the business and create more jobs. And I think this is also a holy use of profits. Right. And then there's the part that's left over, right? Because that's, right. you know, the we got these basket full of leftovers um, and that's that's important as well. So let's talk about the fourth P, the fourth purpose of God's creating business, and that is philanthropy. Right. Christian business owners moderate their compensation and take a portion of their profits. So to, really to be given away to, to really two core things in my estimation. One, uh, the Bible talks about helping the poor, uh, and I'm, these are my words now, to fully participate in the life of the community. I actually, um, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs in his book, The Dignity of Difference, has an incredible discussion on this in two of his chapters where he concludes, and I agree with him, that it is a moral stain on society when the rich hoard their money and don't give enough to the poor so that the poor can fully participate in the community with dignity. And so uh, there is a responsibility on the part of those who have money to give to those who don't have it. Uh, And the second one here is to support the church, its mission, and its calling. And again, I think it is a moral sin not to tithe. And this applies to everyone. Uh, When you don't tithe, you you really reveal a heart that is not walking closely with God. I think uh, you probably would know this better than I would, Carmen, but I think the average uh, tithing level of a uh, evangelical Christian today is in the two to two and a half percent range, which is yep, horrible. It's, low. It, it, it's mm-hmm. horrible, and our churches would not have problems funding ministries and paying pastors an adequate salary if people just tithed. And right now, um, America churches are not tithing, and I think, based on Malachi, uh, they are under a curse, and that's one of the reasons our churches appear to be so anemic uh, in our society today. All right, you and I got to take a very brief break. Um, yep. Those are Bill English's four 
P's of why did God create business, products, people, profits, philanthropy. You can find him at BibleAndBusiness.com. When we come back, we're going to talk about why he thinks the markets are so hot right now. We'll be right back. I'm smelling coffee, birds are singing just outside. Here comes your mercy streaming in with the morning light. Continue my conversation with Bill English from BibleAndBusiness.com. Um, all right, Bill, I was a little surprised to see that the markets are, um, you know, frankly, so hot. We're we're in the midst of a of a global pandemic. Um, people are having a hard time in lots of places. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. The markets traditionally don't like uncertainty. We're in the middle of um, a an election cycle that is also uncertain. Give me give me your your take on why the markets are the way they are and whether or not you're kind of confident in that. Uh, markets aren't always rational. Okay, let's just start there. <laughs> the markets are not always rational. Uh, yeah, normally bet- before a presidential election, about six months before a presidential election, the markets or the, the economy slows down. Most of our e- uh, – if you go back to 1960 and look at the genesis, when did recession start? Most of them started within six months of a presidential election. Having hmm. said that um, – uh, I think they're pricing in some of the additional stimulus money. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're pricing in some of the additional stimulus money. And um, uh, the the recession is really hitting pockets of our economy that I think will domino into the rest of the economy sometime Q1, Q2 of next year. But as long as we have an election in front of us, both parties are going to want to keep the money flowing. They're going to come to an agreement. There's going to be more stimulus money out there. And I think that's what the markets are pricing in, quite frankly. All right. You're talking with uh, with people that you know, sort of on the ground. Um, what I are do. you... Yeah, what are you hearing from you know people in business that you're talking with today? Yeah, I, I stay in touch with a number of bankers here in the Twin Cities. Everyone is uniform in a couple of things. First of all, they expect the money to flow uh, through the um, election by Q1 of Q2 of next year. Everybody's anticipating a rash of bankruptcies. In spite of the stimulus money, it simply isn't going to be enough to keep the businesses afloat. And if if the COVID uh, virus is still going on, which it's going to be in, in Q1 of next year, we're not going to have a vaccine before the end of the year. And even if we did, it's going to take them six months to get this thing uh, distributed and baked into our society. Um, it, the, there's just not going to be enough stimulus money there to keep a lot of these businesses afloat. At any given time, there's about 1% of the businesses in America that are going through bankruptcy. If that doubles to 2%, uh, which doesn't sound like a lot, but if it doubles to 2%, it's going to completely overwhelm the system. The court system won't be able to handle it. The law firms won't be able to handle it. Uh, and and there's, there's going to be some really difficult times there. Most people are expecting that uh, to go to 15 to 2% in Q1 or Q2 of next year. Um, and uh, there's one other piece here that the bankers are telling me uh, that they themselves are feeling a pinch because a good portion of their loan portfolios are in real estate. Commercial real estate is very soft right now, not uncommon for these community banks. Now, not, I'm not talking about the big boys, the U.S. banks or the city banks of the world. I'm talking about your local community banks usually have 40 to 50 percent of their loan portfolio in commercial real estate. And so um, – 
the you know commercial real estate like i told you a, c- a couple weeks ago that's a business you do not want to be in right now uh mm-hmm. those those guys are hurting and uh the regulators because those loans are becoming soft is what they call it maybe they're not in workout yet but they're going to be heading into workout because the the landlords are not going to be able to make the the mortgage payments um the regulators are now tightening up their uh, scrutiny of other types of loans. And as a result, uh, the banks are really feeling a pinch. They're not making as many loans as they normally make because of COVID. Now they have increased regulation and a good portion of their portfolio is starting to soften up. That's going to hit us also in Q1 when some of those commercial real estate loans go bankrupt, other businesses go bankrupt. The banks are going to take a real hit. The government's going to have to backstop all of this. More government spending is, is on the horizon, I think. That's what I'm hearing on the ground right now. All right. So um, let's talk about positive things Christians can do. And I am going to (laughs) add to the list that even though it is um, August, this is a good time to rewatch Frank uh, Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. Um, Because if you want to understand how banking works and just how uh, complex it can get in a local community, that's actually um, a really good social commentary on um, on loans in America. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the positive things. I don't want to always be bummer bill on Wednesdays. Here's some positive things Christians can do. First of all, really, in your heart, you really have to trust God for your financial future. Don't trust your 401k. You need to place your heart and your trust with the Lord, not in whatever money you have saved up. Uh, secondly, if you have a lot of money in the stock market or in mutual funds, just stay the course. COVID will pass. We'll get back to a new normal. Wait for that normal to be realized and then assess your investment portfolios. Every financial planner that I've talked to in the last two months has said, stay the course. Don't, don't make big changes right now. And thirdly, really positively, there's a lot of hurting people out there. Look for people. Ask God to send somebody into your life today or this week to whom you can minister. Give of yourself. Get outside yourself. Minister to people who need a touch from the Lord, a healing touch, an emotional touch, an encouragement. Minister to those people today. Uh, But you know what? If you're a business owner, honestly, and you're in a really good position financially, this is a good time to be assessing some of your competitors. Uh, this they, may, they might be open right now to a merger. They might know that they're headed for bankruptcy. This might be a time to do a merger and, uh, and, really, and do some consolidation uh, in your industry. Last but not least, I'm going to say this again. Do not fail to tithe. Do not fail to tithe. God has promised in Malachi that if we tithe, he will bless us. When we don't tithe, we'll place ourselves under a curse. So don't fail to tithe. And then one other last, don't fail to praise God. Thank him in any and every trial. Always praise God. Always be thankful. That's James 1. That's 1 Thessalonians 3. As Christians, we look past all the garbage that's going on today, and we say, oh, my heavens, God, you are great. You are good. You are wonderful. My trust is in you, and I know that someday I'm going to be with you, and all of this will be behind me. Let's put our faith and confidence there. 
All right, and then number seven, rewatch. Uh, it's a wonderful life. <laughs> it's a wonderful life. <laughs> I'm telling you, people need to rewatch it. I don't think people understand how banks work, and so uh, there you go. That'll be my uh, my number seven on the list of Bill's right. fabulous suggestions of what we could all do today. Um, okay. Bill, as always, thank you so much, Bill English. You can find him at BibleAndBusiness.com. We'll be right back. All right.